Blog Talk Radio. And good evening, everyone out there in Metsland. This is Rich Spirago at MetFanRich on Twitter and welcoming you to another episode of a Metsian podcast with Sam, Rich, and Mike. So tonight we're going to talk spring training, and let me say this up front. So uh, Mike and I did a show about a week and a half ago, and there were some technical difficulties, and I did receive some comments on Twitter. People wanted to listen, and they weren't able to, and so I want to apologize on behalf of the podcast for that technical difficulty and say that we have a lot of spring training to talk about now. And with that, I'm going to introduce my two colleagues, some guys I've known now for six years, gentlemen. Uh, let's start with Mr. Yeah. <laughs> Mike Lacolin from uh, from Bensonhurst. Mike, how are you tonight? I'm feeling a little under the weather. Under the weather, excuse me. Uh, but it's been six years. How huh? time flies when you're having fun. That's all I can say. It it really has. And Mike, uh, and for the show that didn't get recorded, I was the one that was under the weather. So, Mike, I hope you feel better soon. And um, and the converted Mets fan, Mr. Sam Maxwell. Sam, how are you this evening? Well, it is remarkable that we've known each other six years. And, Rich, with that podcast, I'm pretty sure it was still live, that spring training edition. But just like Kaiser Sose and Kevin Spacey's career, it was gone in a flash. Wow. <laughs> nice. Very nice, Sam. Way to pull that one out. Um, so, all right, let, let's get started. And to get started, you know, Sam, Mike, and I, we all have stories, as does every person listening to this, everybody who's ever gone to a baseball game, we all have stories about how we got started in baseball, how we got started being fans, whether it was a parent, a sibling, an uncle, or TV, what have you. And sometimes those stories are the ones that hit home the most. You know, that that remind us that, yes, it's spring training and it's baseball season and they're going to go into losing streaks and all that, but it's really all about, the game, being a fan of the game, and remembering how you as a fan got involved in the game and some of the special memories and special times that brings back. So um, for a lot of reasons you'll hear in a moment, I'd like to introduce Sam to talk a little bit about how he got into baseball. Um, And Sam, why don't you tell us that story and and tell us how it's evolved over time? Well, I wanted to, you know, go this direction uh, just in terms of you know spring training and and kind of how hope springs eternal and I unfortunately got some bad news recently about my dad Uh, for those of you who follow me on Twitter you may have seen some uh, social media posts with my dad getting surgery and we thought we were going to be able to zap some pancreatic cancer out of him but unfortunately and um, I know there's some people (laughs) that I actually haven't told uh, yet uh, it, you know, in personal circles, but uh, you know, I, I, we're making a movie about the guy because he's an actor, and uh, I'll get into that in a second too. But you know, might as well just uh, put it all out there. Yeah, unfortunately, with the surgery, they had to halt it in the middle of it, and and um, because they found some things that they didn't know were there, and surgery wasn't really going to help, and uh, they couldn't show up on the CAT scan prior to. And sometimes, you know, there's only so much you can see until you. Uh, remove the hood, if you will. So, unfortunately, we're going to have to go in a different direction, but it just got me thinking still, as I go about making this documentary about my dad, a journeyman actor, looking back on his life as he takes on his biggest role yet, fighting cancer, 
uh, shameless plug, but, you know, we're a family of entertainment after all. So uh, my dad's been in Raw Deal, um, Prince of Tides. My dad's been in Eddie that I actually got to squeeze in uh, with Whoopi Goldberg and Nick's movie, actually, and which was very interesting as I was about to move to New York, being in a New York sports movie for sure, and certainly helped with my budding love for the Knicks, but it wasn't really my uh, budding love for basketball that he saw uh, happening, which, you know, I like basketball, but I have to say baseball is my religion. And as I entered my third year in New York City, um, the Yankees and the Mets were doing outstanding, and he saw me latching onto the Yankees. And then by 99, we had season tickets, and I was at Roger Clemens' first game as a Yankee where he actually pitched well in a terrible season for him. But as you can see, I mean, even if it were it, it started with the Yankees, he saw the he saw basically the the seeds of baseball beginning to sprout, and then he watered it and gave it a lot of sun. And even though I eventually came of age and realized my own baseball identity, you know, being the Mets, uh, he was still there. And from a financial standpoint, he wasn't actually in the best position to necessarily do that at the time. And uh, he suffered the consequences later and for seven years, if you get my drift. So the fact that I can look back on it and my dad did not think about himself. He thought about this kid, even if it was slightly a incorrect financial decision. It was still a pretty selfless one that, that he, he had to clean up later. And here we are on a podcast, and here I am writing scripts about baseball, and, and here I am just loving the game and loving this side of New York baseball now, but that wouldn't be there if it weren't for my dad in many, many ways. And you got to give a shout out to that. And, you know, as spring training gets, gets underway and as hope springs eternal and as we always hope that the Mets are going to do great. And usually with every injury, and I'm sure you're going to get into that rich with spring training, uh, with every injury comes a little dash of hope gone, but, there's always it's always there there's always uh, you know and, and as the 2015 and 2016 teams proved it doesn't matter how far back you, you you are at certain points you could come through and that is where we currently are with my dad and and let me finish off by telling you a little bit about my dad outside of that whole acting part my dad was in vietnam my dad got bumped from an Everglades jet that went down, I believe on May 11, 1996. He took a flight out of Fort Lauderdale instead of Miami, and the Miami jet went down in the Everglades. I'm not sure if you guys remember that, but he was supposed to be on that flight, and he volunteered after they asked, because it was overcrowded or whatever, to go. And he, he did not go with the rest of them, which, which was just a painstakingly awful thing for all those families to go through. And here he is dodging that bullet. And then he got fired from Goldman Sachs on Maiden Lane that Friday before 9-11. Now, he may have not suffered any any uh, injury or, or any uh, death that day, but he certainly may have res- more respiratory problems and other health issues that we could be talking about right now. But he got fired from his temp job at Goldman Sachs and Maiden Lane few blocks away from from uh, the Trade Center. Uh, so something 
is looking out for him, we always felt as if there's a guardian angel, something that seems to be guiding things away, death away from him. And we found the cancer at stage two, and unfortunately it is metastasized to a stage four. But when you heard the whole stage two thing, you still thought, here's another one. And, and you know, the story's not over yet. We're going we're gonna to keep on battling and, and uh, see what's what. But I'll tell you one way or the other, my dad is going to have a smile on his face because he, he's not one to – he has been exactly who he is the, the last few days as he recovers from the scar. So, you know, let's, uh, let's keep on trucking. Let's keep on pushing. And uh, you got to believe – well said, Sam. Well said. And, um, you know, I think I could speak for Mike when I say that from your two colleagues here, certainly hoping for nothing but the best for both you and your dad. I know listening to you just now, I, I learned a few things. I did not know a lot of those things about your dad. And um, pretty amazing life there and some pretty incredible experiences that he had and, and did not have. And, um so obviously, you know, our our thoughts are with you and I'm sure anyone who listens to this would would feel the same way. Mike, I don't know if you want to add to that. Oh, uh I, I really can't. You, you know, uh that's it's really really well said, Sam. Really heartfelt. Uh and no, I wouldn't want to uh I wouldn't want to add to that. My mother's a cancer survivor as well back in the 70s. And we touched upon this before we got started this evening. Uh, you know, if, if they were able to save her back in the 70s with, with all the medical advances since then, uh, my hopes and uh, my prayers are with you, Pops, and uh, that he gets through this. Thanks. You know, Thanks. So. And, and, and bef- before we go off into the world we want to escape into when all this stuff happens. The thing is, is that you, you, at the same time, you can't completely. I mean, you know, if we're talking about cancer, it does touch about 40% of the, the human population in general eventually. But uh, when you look at, you know, Gary Carter, Shannon Ford, uh, um, plenty others, you know, this, this has been in our uh, uh, scope when it comes to the METs too. And, and so, it's certainly something you got to keep fighting, and it's certainly just something other than just my dad. We just got to talk about the, the cancer thing itself. That that we just got to keep fighting, and that's what. When, unfortunately, Gary Carter and, and people like Gary Carter and Shannon Ford die early, it's really tragic. But at the same time, you get to start foundations, and you get to uh, garner more. Garner more press, really, and, and I, I bring up press even because that's what Shannon was in. You know, you garner more press for for the the, the you know the the cause and trying to fight this thing. And and so anybody out there, you know, there, there's some there's some great cancer uh, uh, there's nonprofits that you can donate to. I know that Ike Davis uh, and and, um, and I have a mutual friend, and he worked with somebody uh, a few years ago. Uh, solving kids' cancer, uh, and that's a whole other. That that's that's just devastating. And and I I knew a kid. I babysat a kid once who who died, and I forget exactly of, of what of, but he was five years old when he passed. And and so you know, go out there, solve solving kids' cancer. That's the the one that 
uh, I really just know right now, but in terms of there's obviously when it comes to what my dad has, pancreatic cancer, is just go out there and, and, and start donating and, and start helping and we can try to squash this thing eventually. Definitely, definitely. Um, you know, and this sounds cliche, but but it is hard to segue to baseball, but I know that this is your wish, Sam, is to have this podcast and <laughs> – um, and talk baseball, and, and uh, as you and I exchange information during the week, you know, this is a good escape, and it is. And, and I think for all of us who have real lives, and we all do, and, and good things happen and bad things happen, and, and sports are the escape. And, um, and so the Mets are our common escape for us, and I'm sure if anybody's listening to this podcast, the Mets are an escape for them too because they're probably Mets fans. So why don't, why don't we jump in and um, and, and talk about some uh, – some spring training stuff. So let, let's start here. Um, let's start a bit snarky. Um, so the the injuries have begun, right? Um, and so, Mike, I'll go to you first on this one. W- when you hear that, well, you know, DeGrom may and may not be available for opening day, the back, he might be, might not be, and, ooh, look, Swarzak hurt his hand, and, oops, Cespedes has a shoulder thing. Not talking about the specifics of the injuries, because I, I think we know Swarzak's is minor. I don't think we know much about the other two. Um, what, what's your gut reaction when you hear that, Mike? Well, what's your first thing you think about? Uh, with regards to the injuries themselves, I'm not really paying much attention to them. Uh, but where it concerns the media, uh, there's always going to be a question, and they're always going to want an answer. Now, as a manager or as a coach, or as an executive, or even as a, as a player, uh, a lot of times you're just giving them filler. Uh, sometimes people uh, squeeze a little bit of insight into the answers. For the most part, it's just filler. And very rarely do you get the really detailed, expansive answers that you would like for every trivial question known to mankind. Uh, so I think that's where we are. I'm not getting crazy about it. Like I, like I said, the media always wants and needs something. So to say that the girl may or may not, you know, be available for opening day, that doesn't concern me. It really doesn't. Uh, let, let's re, let's remember why or, or or how Sandy Alderson prepared for this upcoming season. Uh, he radically altered almost everything. Uh, the training, conditioning, recovery, all aspects uh, of, you know, the physical process have been flipped and, and, and reorganized. And and so maybe we're just talking coincidence here. All right, so my point is we can't blame it uh, on the same old, same old that used to afflict this club or say the last six years under Sandy Olsen, seven years, whatever it's been to this point. So I think this is just pure coincidence, and uh, I'm not making a whole bunch of it. Good, good perspective. Sam, how about you? I just think that aches and pains happen, and I think we're just uber-sensitive to all this stuff right now. Uh, spring training is for getting through this stuff and being a little extra cautious so we can pitch into October. Uh, so I'm really not overly concerned about it as I see it. I think that the narr- it plays very much into the narrative, but 
how much can we really say is going to happen? When you look back at other spring trainings, I mean, this comes up all the time. And obviously, you know, devastating things can occur. But I think I just think it's mostly precaution, especially now the Mets are probably even in a more uber state of, of uh, sensitivity than the fans are. Understood. Understood. Um, and, and, you know, I'll be the outlier here on this one because while I recognize it, the, the season starts four weeks from tomorrow and there's a lot of time to have these injuries, you know, fix themselves, it's just all three came at once and all three came in, in such a short period of time after the game started. I have to admit to rolling my eyes. I, I never thought for a minute, oh, my God, we won't see these guys this year. It wasn't that. It was more a question of, really, are you kidding me? I mean, is this a bad joke? You know, it's just, I guess, so tainted by, by the last couple of years. You know, because in 16, they overcame a lot of injuries to, to make their run at the end. But um, good perspective, guys. I like it. You know, it's early. Um, it might just be fodder for the media to write about. We don't really know. Um, Cespedes' injury to me is the most mysterious. So he says he has a little shoulder tweak every Every spring, okay, so let's just hope that that's uh, a little isolated thing and not the sign of things to come for Ewanis because we certainly need him on the field. So so let's turn to something else. Um, I think it's pretty obvious and pretty well known that the Mets will go as far as their pitching will take them this year. They have some nice offensive pieces for sure, but the pitching is going to rule the day. So, so let's start to pick apart the pitching a little bit. Um, what we've seen so far is from a starting perspective. We've seen Zach Wheeler look pretty decent, right, first game. We've seen Lugo look good. We've seen Gesellman look good. We've seen Noah Syndergaard, and, you know, cliche after cliche, half his pitches at triple digits. That's great. So we've seen that. And today we saw a decent outing from Harvey. Um, you know, he hit 96 on the gun, you know, two innings, one run, but hitting 96, throwing hard. Personally, I'm encouraged by that. Yes, it's one round through the rotation. It's even more guys than will be in the rotation. So I'm encouraged. Um, that, to me, is the most positive thing that's happened all spring. So, so Sam, why don't you take that one? Um, when you hear about those, those kinds of pitching lines and the fact that it's certainly the, the strength of the team, the core of the team, how do you feel? You know, maybe I'm just on edge right now, but I just can't overanalyze Matt Harvey right now in terms of, of what, you know, because everybody's just like, this was a really good step. He really needed this psychologically. I'm like, w where have we come here? Maybe, Like I said, maybe I'm just on edge, but I'm just kind of tired of this, like, this baby talk about all of this. <laughs> you know, it's just, spring training was for working out kinks. It's like we either freak out if he had a bad outing, uh, or or be encouraged if he has a good one, and I I just I can't really tell until I see consistent strings of of good quality starts that's more than six innings and three runs uh, by Matt Harvey. I need to start seeing that number get down to two because he's becoming Mister Three, you know, three and six right now, Mister Four Fifty ERA. And I remember last year, that first game, he looked like Matt Harvey in 2013 and then fell apart. So I really can't overanalyze Matt Harvey right now because I just want to see – I mean, and, and I know I'm not going to see the five starts in a row he started us off with 
in 2013 where we were just like, this guy's the next uh, Tom Seaver. I just want to I just want to see him start settling back into consistent quality pitches because he hasn't been there. Very good point. You know, and, and Mike, I'm going to ask you the same question, but Sam, I'm not going to let you go yet on this one. I want, I want to ask another question. So when you hear about Noah Syndergaard, 22 fastballs, 11 of them, 100 or more, I, I was surprised by the reaction from a lot of the fan base on that because, you know, I'm at work and I'm, you know, stalking Twitter to see how Noah's doing, and I'm, here, you know, seeing 100, 100, 100. I'm giddy. I'm like, his lat's okay. He's great. This is awesome. And most of Mets Twitter is saying that's terrible. He's overthrowing. He's going to hurt himself again. I did not go there for a minute. So, Sam, what was your reaction? Did you think, oh, my God, ease into it, dude? Or were you happy to see him throwing so hard? I just want to see him pitch well. And right now I have a lot more confidence that Noah Syndergaard is going to be clinical about it going into the season than Matt Harvey. And that's really all I'm concerned about is watching the art of pitching. Uh, you know, what I remember when watching Oliver, and this may have all, all of a sudden, I love that I just said Oliver, and we probably all know who I'm talking about. When I was watching Oliver Perez pitch, I, I noticed a, 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 an extreme lack of artistic quality in, his, in, in the way he went about pitching. And maybe that also had something to do with the, the catcher he had. But that's, that's something that I just want to – I like about Noah Syndergaard. And, and they're talking about, you know, him pitching inside a little bit more and this and that. It's like I, I really like – and this is where – and, and Mike, I know we said we were not going to bring up the Wilpons because I wanted to keep your voice as, you know, not hoarse as possible. <laughs> but, <laughs> um, when you look at it, like if, if this was a better run organization from the top down, You'd have Tom Seaver talking to every single one of these guys every spring training. And now I know Tom has some health issues and he probably just wants to stay put or whatever. But if there was better alumni relations here, you would have this complete string of, of, of fluidity between the lineages of, of the, the, the pitching, uh, which is which what this, this entire franchise is built on. Um, and, and so I, I think about that, too. I, I, I remember this SNY piece when Johan Santana came up of just him and Tom Seaver talking pitching for like a half hour, and it was one of the coolest things. I think Ron Darling was the one interviewing him. It, it was just like, that's what I want to see more. I want to see, you know, get, sure, get Sandy Koufax in there. He's not going to fix Oliver Perez, but he can probably give some pointers even to a righty like Noah Syndergaard and, and, you know, Max just needs to stay healthy, so we can't even go down that road, really, in terms of comparing him to Sandy yet, but, you know, like, that, that's where I am on that. I just want to see these guys pitch, and I want to see some great pitching, so Daniel Murphy stops hitting the ball out of the ballpark for us. Against <laughs> um, ironic you bring that up because tonight on SNY was the uh, Wilmer Flores walk-off home run against Washington from 15. They did a Mets Classic on that. But, Mike, you've been waiting patiently. So same question to you. Thoughts on the starting pitching? Do you agree that you know the team will go as far as pitching will take it? And thoughts on what you've seen so far? And then your thoughts on, um, on Cindergaard and the 100. Are you in the slowdown, dude, rein it in? Or are you like, wow, if he could do that, I'm encouraged that the lat's totally healthy. Where do you stand on all that? 
you know what? I'll start with Thor first. But first, Sam, I think that's a great point uh, where it concerns Mets alumni, uh, Tom Skeever, Jerry Kuzman. You could, you know, pick a name and you could ask why aren't they here and you could probably point your finger at Fred Wilpon and blah, blah, blah. But great point. Uh, Thor, Rich, I'm not impressed. I'm really not. Uh, I, I've always been taught, uh, you know, by my family. Because on my mother's side, I come from a baseball family. And I've always been taught that less is more when it comes to pitching. Uh, there's, a, there's a craft, there's an art to pitching. And, and that involves, you know, location, up and down, in and out, uh, and, and changing speeds. So save that 100-mile-an-hour fastball when you're ahead in the count and you've already, you know, shown a batter low inside and then come up high. But I don't need 100 miles an hour on every fastball. I really don't. I need a pitcher. I need a craftsman. So 100 miles an hour, I'm unimpressed. And I'll tell you why. Because a 100-mile-an-hour thrower no longer stands out in this league. Back when we were kids, each division had maybe one pitcher that had a flamethrower like that. Now, almost every team has one. So, 100 miles an hour, you know, 95, 96, 7, 8, that's all fairly common now. Uh, so, to me, it's nothing special anymore. Show me you can be a pitcher. Show me you can get through a lineup a third time. Show me you can maneuver around the strike zone, like I said, up, down, in, out increase velocity, shave it off. Show me that. And then save that 100-mile-an-hour fastball when you want to put somebody away. That's a pitch that belongs up in the eyes. It's irresistible. But if you mismanage it, if you misuse it, well, then you're just giving up base hits all over the place because a fastball is still a fastball, and we're still talking about major league hitters. Let's not forget that. Now, as far as this rotation... Uh, Matt Harvey, I'll, t- I'll take him at his word. He said this is his first regular, or this has been this has been his first regular off season in a long time, and and I think that's very important. Uh, that that suggests that every other off season has been compromised. So if he's going through a a, a normal routine, ooh, well then you know I, I would say the regular season looks promising. And I won't take it beyond that. Uh, I don't think he'll ever recapture the magic of, you know, pre-Tommy John surgery. Uh, He's gone through a lot since then. And and I I think all these injuries and all this rehabilitation and whatnot, you know, has chipped away at him somewhat. Uh, I still think he can be a very good pitcher. Uh, And, again, I'm I'm pleased uh, with some of the rhetoric. And part of that involves saying that this is his first normal offseason in a long time. So there's something to be said for normalcy. As far as this rotation as a whole, uh, you know, Matt, Wheeler, Harvey, DeGrom, Thor, uh, they have yet really to pitch a full season together. Uh, most of that has been because of Wheeler missing two full seasons. Uh, Syndergaard blew that uh, prospect last year. 
when, when, when he decided to come in like a, a Marvel comic superhero. So uh, perhaps this will be the year, uh, and this might be the last year, because I don't think there's uh, an, an, opinion, an opinion amongst us that believes that the Mets are going to retain Matt Harvey beyond this season. So uh, I'm hoping for the best. I'm hoping that these guys can finally stay healthy and they can finally, you know, uh, endure the grind of a full season together. And what do I mean by that? Well, I'm expecting DeGrom and Syndergaard to make a full complement of 30-plus starts. And if we can get anywhere from 22 to 25 starts from Wheeler, Mats, and Harvey, uh, I'd be very happy. I'd be ecstatic. Uh, because I think that puts us uh, in a very good position to be in the postseason. Pitching is this team's strength, and everything has been geared around to essentially resurrect what really hasn't been fulfilled yet. I I know that's a little bit of a contradiction, but none of them have really achieved their max potential yet. So what did you do? Redundancy. They hired Dave Island as pitching coach, and they hired – a former pitching coach in Mickey Calloway. That's redundancy to me. Uh, so Sandy Alderson is making a bid, one last bid to get everything he can out of this rotation while he still has them together. Because after this year, uh, some of them are going to start, you know, one by one. They might be parting ways. Who knows whom we're, we're, we're going to retain and whom we're not. But I think we're all pretty confident uh, because of Scott Boris, you know, Matt Harvey's a goner. So, this season coming up, Rich, I, I'm, I feel good about it. Like I said, I hope these guys can finally enjoy the grind of the season together. So, let's go for it. Agreed. No, totally agreed. And, um, and so, let's, let's stay on pitching for a moment here. Um, agreed. Okay, so, <laughs> I, I would agree that this really is – the first time I felt we might actually see these guys in the same rotation because aside from hundred miles an hour, you know, being, and I agree with everything both you guys said that it's great to hit a hundred on the gun, but being a pitcher is more important. Those are very well made points. Um, but, but let's play this out on the rotation. So the rotation will probably be DeGrom, Syndergaard, Harvey Matz, right? So now you've got Wheeler, Gaselman, and Lugo for the fifth spot with the other two likely ending up in the bullpen, likely other things could happen. So my question is of Lugo of Gaselman and Wheeler, just based on what you've seen of these guys to date um, over the last couple of years. And also a couple of them have injury histories and that kind of thing. Sam, I'll start with you. Who would you, who would you put your chips behind that you would want to see at this point, based on what you know, to be the fifth starter of those three? Um, I really root for, for Wheeler. I really do. Um, but I still don't see it. But I want to see it. Because I think he's got a good head on his shoulders. I think that he's really worked his ass off to try to not be as injured as he gets. And I think last year was just maybe he just hit a hit a wall. And I'd like to see him figure it out. I want to see these guys pitch. And 
you know, maybe it's because they've been limiting these guys that they keep getting injured so much and they can't get any consistent consistency going with being on the mound at all. Um, I, I, I want to go back to real quick, just real quick, I just want to loop back to what we were just talking about, what Mike was saying about, like, location, location, location. And and that's something that as, as much as Dan Worthen and as good as these pitchers were, at the same time, you see somebody like Yuris Familia come up and think that he can make a rookie mistake, which he kind of was, but, but, you know, quick pitch somebody in the exact same spot with the exact same pitch and think that he's not going to hit it out of the, the ballpark right straight away to, to center field knowing it's coming. Um, I, I, I just think that maybe this is why it's, it's good that uh, Island is in here now or whatever, however you pronounce it, Dave, David Island. Uh, because maybe we can get back to talking about this this whole pitching thing. I mean, it, it, uh, you know, Dan Dan might be great, but maybe he was just too focused on that slider outside because you just see them keep going outside, outside, outside. <sighs> what was the question, Rich? <laughs> uh, which one of the three would you like to see as the fifth starter of the three being Wheeler, Lugo, and Gesellman? Yeah, no, I'd have to I'd have to give it to Wheeler uh with the other guys. Basically all three have yet to, to convince me that they can pitch into the sixth and seventh inning. So I give it to Wheeler because he is the one that we've been building around since two thousand eleven. Uh Mike, same question. Of the three candidates, um if you had to handicap it, and even in your heart, who would you want to see as the um, as the third starter? I'm, I'm sorry, the fifth how's, starter. How's this for an answer? Jason Vargas. Out of force of habit, we don't even bring him up. That's right, Jason Vargas. Name. We're not used to saying his name yet. So there's your answer, Jason Vargas. Oh, my Vargas God, it's right. It. He brings competition to the whole Speaking situation. So now we got Vargas, Wheeler, Lugo, Giselman. You know, Vargas just upped the game on them. So I think it's a great thing, you know, whether Vargas pans out or not, I don't know. Who would I like to see get the number five position? Uh, like Sam said, I, I have a thing for Wheeler after what he's been through. You know, after all, we did make the trade for him. We traded Carlos Beltran, and we had a plan. And these guys were part of the plan. So, you know, I, I have a thing for Wheeler. I'd like to see him uh, win that spot and and and, and be successful. You know, but Vargas, we need to start getting used to saying that name. It's even difficult. For we me. do, we do, and and can I also mention that since we this is going to be the first time we have it in recording in archive, uh, Todd Frazier. <laughs> well, that's right ahead of ourselves. But I think Matt yep. has more to worry about than Wheeler does. If anyone should be lo- looking over his shoulder, I think it's Matt's. You know, and Dan Morgan, somebody brought him up. He called all the pitches from the dugout, so I, I expect. A radical change in in philosophy and execution. It was just time, guys. It was just time to move on, you know. And and, and there's there's just there needed to be different voices in there. And I think that alone gives me so much hope past any of the injuries. Because I I also think just like 2009, we got overexposed last year. And with better, you know, unlike, you know, 2010, you had the exact same personnel around all the, all, all the changes. Whereas here, uh, you, have a, you, have, you have some player changes, but you definitely have a lot of coaching uh, personnel changes. So 
I'm still just excited to see how that that part plays out. Forget about spring training because you're only going to be able to gauge so much. And, and maybe I'm sure at some point we're going to go that direction as to what you guys have gauged from the coaches uh, so far. But but that is what I'm most looking forward to with this season is we've been talking about wanting different voices there for quite some time, especially specifically with the manager managerial position. So that is what I'm really the most looking forward to this season is seeing how that all plays out. Fair enough. No, I think that those, those are really good points. And, and so, you know, the more I listen to this, listen to you guys talk, the more encouraged I am because it's almost an embarrassment of riches, right? Um, my apologies to Jason Vargas for, for forgetting him. But if you think about it, that's nine guys who could start, right? And, of them, so it, let's just say, all right, we have a five-man rotation to start the season. Uh, the other three, do they all go to the bullpen? Does somebody go to the minor leagues to, you know, be a starter down there? Is somebody traded? What do they do? I, I hesitate to trade anyone at this point with all the injuries from last year, but, you know, it's a big word, but if they're all healthy, it show me another organization that has nine potential major league starters. Um so it is a very encouraging thing. And we'll move away from pitching now because we're into the second half of the show. We'll move away from pitching, and let's talk a little bit about the offense. And I have a uh, a rather um, pointed question for you guys to contemplate. And, Mike, I'll go to you first on this one. And, and feel free to just answer any way you like. Uh, so now we're going to go to offense. Here's my question. Why is Wilmer Flores still on this team? And I'll tell you why I say that. He doesn't have a place to play. They've obviously brought people in to do the things he could do. They brought Frazier in for third base. Um, They brought Reyes back, meaning Cabrera likely plays second, although I think Jose should start over Cabrera, but anyway. Um, They have middle infielders. Uh, The thought of him in the outfield is abhorrent to me. So why is he still on the team? He probably has more value to an American League team as a DH where you could get something back, what in the hell is this value this guy is going to bring to the team? Mike, tell me I'm crazy. You're first. I, I can't, and I can't add to it. Uh, I'm a Wilmer, Wilmer Flores supporter, always has been. I always had a soft spot for him. But, Rich, you nailed it, and I don't have an answer for you. I just don't. So you might as well go to Sam. Yeah, Sam, you're up. Hmm. Um. He just crushes pitching, and they're trying to – he crushes left-handed pitching, excuse me, and they, they're trying to figure first base out right now between Adrian Gonzalez, Wilmer Flores, and Dominic Smith, who's probably not even going to make the team out of spring training. So I think Wilmer Flores still has a, a pretty solid place on this team, even though I think all of those are very good points, not to mention, of course, for my side of, of the things – Obviously, you can never you never want to let the emotional uh, part factor into the way you make baseball decisions. But there is something to be said, especially with David Wright not out in front uh, of Wilmer Flores's place as a fan favorite here, and I think they're probably considering that too. Yeah, that may have something to do with it. But as I see it. If Flores were moved to another organization, they've got T.J. Rivera. T.J. can hit, too. Now, he's a little bit of a different hitter. He doesn't absolutely crush lefties the way Flores does. I get that. But he can hit. That kid can hit. 
He also is a bit defensively challenged, as Wilmer Flores is. So my point is, <laughs> you get 85% of Flores in Rivera. You move Flores somewhere else, and you get something back. You know, maybe you get a, a, a reliever. Maybe you get a, a you know pitching depth. Maybe you get something you might need. But I just don't understand it. I mean, I, I don't. It's like they're trying to round peg square hole this guy, and I just don't understand it. I don't. I don't see why you would do that. Um, uh, I, I can't disagree with you, TJ uh, Rivera. He underwent Tommy John surgery. He'll be out for the majority of the season. But Wilma Flores, you know what? I really do believe the the, the minute he leaves this organization, he's going to finally hit to his minor league potential. All those numbers he put up in the minor leagues, being uh, a 300 plus hitter, I, I still see that in him. Uh, I, I just think with with uh, regular playing time and a regular position uh, and, and a level, uh, um, some level of comfort, you know, that he can actually be that player. It's just unfortunate. Rich, I can't disagree with anything you said, regardless of what I feel for him. Yeah, it, it's true. I mean, look, uh, like I said earlier, the – Wilmer Flores walk-off home run game was on, and, and you watch that, and you always feel a little bit of um, sentiment toward the guy, and and he really wants to be a Met, and he's a nice man. You know, every time you hear him interviewed and all that, but at, at some point you have to realize, my God, you know the writing's on the wall. They bring other people in to do the job that he's there to do. So why in the hell is he still here? I don't know. But anyway, we, we've already covered that. So let, let's stay with the offense. Uh, Sam, I'll go to you first on this one. Lead-off hitter. And I know, I know, in the current era of baseball, oh, the lead-off hitter only leads off once, it doesn't matter, and all that kind of thing. You don't have to have the on-base guy, the fast guy, you know, the new thinking on that. But this team really hasn't figured that out. You know, I've seen Cabrera lead off. I've seen different guys lead off. I've heard Gasp, Todd Frazier leading off. Um, so... I do think it's important to have a leadoff hitter. Ricky Henderson made quite a difference on the teams he was on because he had a way to get on base, steal bases, the ball over the over the fence. I would like to see them solve leadoff hitter. Um, it doesn't seem like they have a specific thought on that. So, Sam, what do you think? Um, what would you like to see them do for leadoff? Mm. I think it's going to have to be just in and out platoon. I mean, I think they're setting up for Juan Ligueras to get a lot more time against lefties than, than we gave, we saw before. Um, you know, this guy is analytically based. This manager is analytically ba- uh, based. And he's, he's, he's part of this new generation that is sweeping out the Dusty Bakers and the Terry Collinses and, and bringing in, I mean, basically it's like there's three of these types of hires in the National League East alone this offseason. Um, so I just think that, you know, whenever Jose Reyes is in the lineup and whenever he's on the field and he's going to be playing all different types of positions, he's probably going to lead off and, and Juan Ligueras will do the same and, and maybe Todd Frazier too, because they're talking about his on base percentage. I, and, and, you know, nobody thought that Curtis Granderson could lead off again at age 35 and all of a sudden he became one of the best leadoff hitters we've ever had numbers wise, at least he broke some records. So we, we really, I, I, I'm totally fine with seeing where this thing plays out and not making any definitive decisions right now, especially because, yeah, may, you know, for better or worse, you're going to have a rookie staff. And 
and they're probably going to feel it out as much as we're going to feel out how we think, how we, we feel about the 2018 squad and the coaching staff. Fair enough, fair enough. Mike, what do you think? Unfortunately, with this team, the leadoff hitter is intertwined with center field or second base. You know, we don't have Mookie Wilson, Lenny Dykstra, or Lance Johnson, or even Jose Reyes, the former Jose Reyes, leading off anymore. You know, so the way our outfield is constructed with Conforto and center and our corner, I, I don't like it. I don't like it. Uh, there's something to be said for a leadoff hitter. He will lead your team in at-bats at the end of the season. And if this individual is productive in that extra .7 or extra .8 at-bats per game over the course of the season, that's an impact because they do lead the team by that much more in at-bats. If he's getting 650, 675 at-bats, you clean up, it is only probably approaching 600. Somewhere around there. Play with the numbers. But there's something to be said for a guy who's going to lead your team in at-bats. But baseball is a game of averages, so you don't see that until the completion of a full season. Uh, day in, day out, oh, he only leads off, he only, you know, leads off punts. All right, you can look at it that way. I don't. Uh, but unfortunately, we have, you said it, Rich, you know, we're still, yeah, we've corrected some things, but we're still trying to put round pegs and square holes. And I'll just point back to the outfield. Conforto should not be our center fielder. He should be our corner outfielder. But you bring in Jay Bruce, and now you force them into center field. You know, my preference is having Conforto in right field. And and intertwining this leadoff hitter with either second base or center field. That's the way it works on this team. But that's not the route they're taking. So it's somewhat of just a disjointed plan. That irks me in in, in a little way, but it is what it is. I, I like what you just said. It is disjointed. And I do think, well, I have to say maybe I think and I also kind of hope that given the current construct of the roster, what you will see leading off is whoever's playing center field that day. I think you're spot on because you'll see Nimmo, who is, um, you know, he had the 360 OBP, which is pretty darn good. And Ligaris of the unfortunate OBP, which I think is hovering around 295 ish. Um, you know, but like, we all like Ligaris, love to see him get on base more, but I do think your leadoff hitter for the most part, will be who's ever playing center field that day. Perhaps if Reyes is playing, you're right, maybe he does. But it, it's really not solved. Um, don't be surprised if you see Cabrera at some point lead off or Frazier or something kooky like that. And and it's just, you know, it's not the baseball that you and I grew up with, Mike. You know, Sam, you're a little bit younger, but um, it's just not what we're used to. You know, we're not used to seeing a slugger like Frazier in the leadoff spot, but I guess we're going to, and we're not used to seeing a guy who runs in quicksand like Cabrera in the leadoff spot, but that might happen too. But I want to I play out another point on the lineup, and, and Mike, I'll go to you first on this one. One thing that you probably will see, so we don't know what we're going to see in the leadoff spot, but one thing I'm hearing you will see is Cespedes batting second, which also um, – violates, you know, Mike, what you and I grew up with. Your, your big guy was your third or fourth hitter. But 
I, I'm hearing that Cespedes will likely spend a lot of time batting second. So, Mike, what do you think about that? I don't like it at all. <laughs> to be frank, I don't like it at all. Uh, Your second hitter, you want a contact hitter up there. You want somebody who can spray the ball tall fields. I don't need a slugger in my second position. Not on this team, at least. Uh, I need somebody who's going to potentially move the runner over, uh, you know, get that leadoff batter from first to third, uh, somebody who doesn't strike out, uh, somebody who draws a lot of walks. You know, uh, I don't need a slugger in that in that situation. Uh, I'm not quite sure what Mickey Calloway's idea for this offense is. I'm not even quite sure what Sandy Alderson's idea for this lineup is going to be. Uh, it seems like all their focus is on pitch. And, you know, they'll just write eight position players in the lineup and hopefully it'll take care of itself. <laughs> that, that's my impression so far. Cespedes batting second? No, I don't like it one bit. <laughs> and, Sam, what do you think? Didn't he do this at some point last year? And what was the reasoning? Do you remember this, Rich? Do you remember that yeah. at all? Yeah. Well, Cespedes hit third last year a lot, and um, I don't – it could be that he hit second for a period, but I don't seem to recall that. I, I seem to recall the big move was moving him up to third at, out of the cleanup spot. And, um, and I know Keith lauded that as being the right thing to do, your best hitter hitting third. Um, and if he did hit second, he may have, but it, but it may not have been over a long period of time. I, I guess the philosophy is – you want to get him as many at-bats as possible, and as opposed to leading him off, because he does have out-of-the-ballpark power, you take the hope that he might come to the plate with somebody on base that he could drive in, but you're, getting him, you're optimizing his number of at-bats. I guess that's the philosophy. And how does that sit with you, Sam? Yeah, I think if that's the philosophy, I can kind of get it, and I'd like to see it play out. But I, I, you know, I personally want to see it play out as opposed to taking their taking them at their word. Again, it's just I guess it's just the whole 2018 how new this Mets team is in many ways and how how this you're you know we're really trying for for something different. Um, I, I I think I'm willing to let them show me it works and then go from there. I mean I can I can kind of see it sometimes if you have you know a lot of times you get to that point where you're you know you're seven eight nine. You have the seven and eight hitters get on. The pitcher either bunts them over or doesn't do anything, and you have that one out. And then all of a sudden you have two outs to work with or one out to work with, and either that runner gets on and you've loaded the bases or he gets another runner in and there's two people on, and there is three people on for your your best hitter and the number two hole. I think I just explained a scenario pretty soundly that, of where these this this idea is coming into into uh, uh, you know into place. What do you think of that, Rich? Um, I think a lot of it is what comes after it. You know, like in other words, for Cespedes, it's second. Okay, so who backs him up? Is it Jay Bruce hitting third? Is it Frazier hitting third? I think it could work. I like what you just laid out because if the eighth hitter is gets on. Pitcher bunts him over, and now you have your first hitter who potentially can get on, and then you have your big guy coming up now 
with two men on. And, and that's a scenario that, that will play out. And so I'm not opposed to it. I do think you have to look at it in context, like, like who protects Cespedes in the lineup, who protects Bruce in the lineup. Um, but you know what? Give it a shot. What the hell? It, it doesn't sit with me, the, you know, as well, you know, being an old-time fan. And I still would like to see Cespedes third or fourth, but I'm willing to give it a try, see how it works. And I do like the scenario you laid out, Sam. I do think that gives it some basis in, in baseball facts, so I do like that. Um, you know, you know how right, many so, times you'll see you'll you'll see that uh, before you go on. Uh, you know, you'll you'll see that completely run into a brick wall because the second the the, the second hitter is kind of just a slap happy hitter and and maybe is a Louis Castillo, you know, for instance, who who doesn't have he, who's not there with his 2003 World Series Marlins ways <laughs> in 2008 and 2009. <laughs> so you know. That is a proper argument, but but at the same time, I always like Duda protecting or mm-hmm. Johan or Suspedis protecting Duda, who uh, just signed with the Royals. So you're absolutely right, Rich, when you say, uh, uh, you know, who is protecting Cespedes? And I cannot say that I like Frazier in the three hole on on everything that Keith, you know, you mentioned Keith saying. Yeah. I, oh, I wouldn't want Frazier in the three-hole. Obsessed with this is second. I'd want Bruce in the three-hole. I'd like to have a lefty bat in there. Um, maybe not against a lefty pitcher, but against righties. I'd like to have a lefty bat protecting him. Um, and, yeah, ooh, I'm not sure about Frazier. I'm not a huge Frazier fan. I've made that point pretty clear, you know, in past podcasts. And um, <laughs> Okay, he's here now. We'll root for him. But the, the 150 strikeouts irk me because I think this team has plenty of strikeouts to go around. Um Godfather, we're just replacing we're just replacing Granderson's strikeouts, Rich. When you think about it, right? The Toddfather, you know, any <laughs> personality-wise, hey, look, he's going to be a guy we're going to like when he gets a big hit and he and he's on the post-game show. He's probably going to say stuff that makes us laugh. He's going to be a popular Met, I think. Um, and I like the Granderson because they both are low average hitter. They do walk, both walk a lot, both have power. I think those are points well taken. Um, so, all right, so, so let's move away from the hard metrics of talking about, you know, who should bat second and pitching and all kind of thing. Let's go to a soft metric. Let's go to the vibe coming out of Port St. Lucie. And, Mike, I'll go to you first and, and just ask you to comment in general about what you're hearing. Do you like it? Do you not like it? One thing I'm going to give you a thought starter on that I just found to be so interesting. Last week, I think it was Saturday, probably, no, I think it was Sunday, Mickey Calloway just goes out to the berm. In, um, in Port St. Lucie, and he's mixing it up with the fans. He's just, hey, I'm Mickey, how are you? you know, and, and the fans are coming up to him with the baseballs and the pictures and this and that. Could you picture Terry doing that? I don't think so. But um, So the general vibe, well, Mike, I mean, coming I, out of Port I, St. I Lucie. I, I, will, I will, before you before you answer, Mike, I will give Terry credit because I've seen video of him and seen photos of him chatting it up with the fans before. I, I, I want to throw that out there as much as I give him crap. No, true. No, no, he, he would, but, but I, I could be wrong, but I recall seeing Terry talking to the fans through the fence. Mickey, Mickey just went out to the berm like he had a ticket, you know? <laughs> but, uh, um, <laughs> That's a good point. Good point. All right. All right. Sorry. No, no, Sam, why don't you go first? Just, no, just keep your thought, then we'll go to Mike on this one. So, so the general vibe Mike, coming I'm, out of Port St. Lucie, so what do you think? I'm so sorry, Mike. Yeah, I, I'm so sorry, Mike. You know, uh, uh, it, it's, 
it's definitely something that I hope Mickey is is uh, attending to when it comes to uh, uh, this type of, of what I just did to a, a fellow team member. It was it was rude of me. I apologize, Mike. But but having the ball now, <laughs> I would have to say that it it's it's pretty it's pretty uh, happy. You know, it it I I think that again, you're not going to get too much negativity when you have uh, something different. And, and until that difference really plays out negatively during the season, you're going to have a pretty happy vibe, especially because I think that in some similarities to 2015, there is a fed-upness that you're, you're basically at the brink of getting something consistent together. You had a setback, and these, these players that came up in 2015 and 2014 and 2015 the fed-upness of, of what that vibe that they were coming up into of next war uh, was providing, they were fed up uh, and they wanted to win. And now they want to get back to making sure that that stays a winning formula. So I think that that is always a good thing, and, and it, it hope I hopefully hopefully it, bo- uh, it bodes well for the season. Yeah. Uh, Mike, your thoughts? Uh, Mickey Cowley, you know, after that opening press conference and kumbaya and love and caring and all, everything sounds normal now. He disciplined Dominic Smith. He gave us the bad news about the ground or the potential bad news about the ground. Everything sounds normal now. So I would separate, if I were a Met fan, I would separate myself from that opening press conference and you know what? Just do the guy a favor and just throw it away. That was just a happy, giddy day for him. Everything now sounds pretty normal. You know, going out to the fans, uh, to the berm, and that, that's great. That's what spring training is all about. And baseball made a huge, huge mistake. They alienated a whole generation. So they got a lot of ass-kissing to do, to put it frankly. Because they did. They alienated a whole generation. So they got to rethink the way they go about their business. You know, and, and Mickey Callaway is just one individual who took it upon himself to, you know, do a nice thing. And if more people thought like that, the game would be better off. Uh, but Mickey Callaway, you know, look, Sandy Alderson is trying to finally maximize this starting rotation. That's what this is all about. I go back to the word I used, redundancy. That's why they fired Dan Warth and brought in Dave Island. And that's why they hired a pitching coach and manager, Mickey, Mickey Callaway. Excuse me, tongue-tied, Mickey Callaway. Uh, to me, again, I think they're just piecing this lineup together. This is Sandy Alderson's last-ditch effort to maximize this starting rotation. I think that's what this is all about. Uh, yeah, communication is key. And all those things play a factor into this. But to me, this is all about the pitching. Uh, otherwise, I can't hear your question directly, which everything sounds normal about Mickey Callaway now. And, and I like it, too. I, I think people spend their money to go down to Florida, and, and you're right, Mike. Baseball has to re-embrace the fans because, for some reason, the game got away from the fans a little bit. And now with some of the difficulties the NFL is having and we're hearing about, you know, people don't want their kids to play football and all that, the 
baseball's out drawing, you know, TV viewership wise. The World Series is now out drawing Sunday Night Football, which had never happened before. So baseball really is on the precipice of of becoming the national pastime again, at least as an opportunity. And the kinds of things you're seeing, you know, like Mickey going out there, people pay their money to go down to Florida. What the hell? You know, it's no skin off Mickey's back to go out there for 15 minutes, take a few pictures, and the goodwill that buys with the fans, whether it's happening in Port St. Lucie, any part of Florida, any part of Arizona, it's it's good stuff, and it's good for the game, and I, and I completely agree with you. Um, so two more things, guys, that I wanted to cover before we um, before we, we say goodnight. So one of them you, you alluded to, on the subject of Mickey Calloway, uh, sitting Dom Smith for Dom being late for the first game. Sam, go to you first. Good move by Mickey. Should he have swept it under the rug and let the kid play? What would you have done? Was it a good move? Was it a bad move? The kid just was disciplined enough to lose as much weight as, as he did. Had Mickey Calloway uh, not done this, there was potential for not necessarily him to gain all the weight back, let's say specifically, but you kind of needed to show him it's never enough. You can't just rest on your laurels. You can't just stop at the fact that you lost all that weight. Now you really got to put in the work and showing up late on the first day uh, of spring training, much less the first playoff game in six years, Matt Harvey. Sorry. It clearly makes us all think of that. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think that he was absolutely right. He shouldn't have swept it under the rug. Uh, you can't – you have to make sure the kid understands that these things will not be tolerated, whether he's that young or whether he's Matt Harvey, who has this whole, uh, uh, you know, dark night aura at the, at the time. Mike, what do you think? <laughs> you don't want to know. Uh, oh, we get on my, you want me to get on my soapbox? Look, Rich, you and I come from a generation where we were, to, we were told, these are the rules, you abide by them, no questions asked. If you don't like it, take a hike. This generation is being told, these are the rules, but here's why you have to follow them, and here's why it's not a good idea to disobey them. And here's why, you know, you really need to fall in line. You know, it's okay to have a misstep here and there. But, you know, at the end of the day, we're all in this together. But there's the difference. There's the difference. A little bit more of a hardcore approach back back then of the preceding generations. And now these people need to be, or they need to have everything explained to them uh, until they're, in compliance and until it sinks in. I, I, I don't know. But I think that's the difference. You know, and, and actually it's kind of like I'm I'm going to take it from Rich. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm going to take it from Mike uh, from there in terms of my own experience as a younger kid here. Uh, um, I would definitely say that, you know, it, 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 it I, it's not that it wasn't explained to me, but I didn't snap to it if you if you will it's not it's not as if like there there were certain things that that were you know shown to me you know through not just words but actions but that I didn't necessarily take right to as an adult and um 
I think you're absolutely right, Mike. From the experience of the, the negative parts of what you're saying, I, I, I will uh, uh, admit to that on my end. I, I'm just saying if you're a little older, you had a little bit more of a hardcore experience with life. Life wasn't that yep. friendly. Here it is. Here's your standard. Meet it. That was life. Now, shit, standards are even lowered. So let me jump off this soapbox, please. <laughs> but I, I do think that's, you know, when Mickey talks about, and God only knows, we've heard it enough on WFAN, right? Oh, we're going to love the players. We're going to, these guys are not going to, have never been appreciated like this before and all that. I really think the reason he says that, I mean, he's 42 years old. He's not 25. But I think the reason he says that is because that's how you get through to that generation. They have to feel like you care about them, like explain what's in it for them, why they should do something, all of that. And, Mike, you're absolutely right. When you and I grew up, it was you respected authority, right? You did it because you were told to do it, and you seldom asked questions. Well, now this generation of, you know, 20 to 30-year-olds, they do nothing but ask questions. Like they want to know why I'm being asked to do this. Why are you telling me to do this? What's in this for me? How will I benefit? Things like that. So that's what I think when Mickey puts himself out there and he says things like they're going to be – they're never going to feel, you know, this appreciated. They're going to be so appreciated. It's to get through to these guys. It's it's to speak their language. And let's face it, Terry did not. I mean, you know – Terry's 68, 69 years old. He did not do that. And um, and I think that's what Mickey, it may, I don't know, Mickey, I was, none of us do. It may irk him that he has to say those words. We don't know that. But I think the the reason they come out of his mouth, whether he believes them, hates them, loves them, is because he knows that's how he gets rid of these athletes. And I think that's very important. You have to speak their language. Go back to what Terry uh, Collins said. We caught him. What did he say? He had an outburst in one one press conference. He's like, there's a whole bunch of players in Las Vegas who want to play. I'll find players who want to play. Remember that outburst? Oh, that I, was I, after. I was at that game. They lost 11-1 yeah. to on a 100-degree afternoon in August, and that was that meltdown, literal literal meltdown. Um, well, I, I, I think that speaks directly to that. I don't think you'll get an outburst like that from Mickey Callaway, but for a, a guy like Terry Collins from his generation, hell yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's one of our right. favorite Terry Collins moments. It was. I, I had my favorite Terry Collins moment was when he said, "Why is Wilmer crying? He got traded. What? To who? What'd we get?" <laughs> that was my favorite Terry <laughs> Collins moment. <laughs> oh um, man! So one more thing to cover, guys. Um, you know, we we passed our hour, but you know, we'll, we'll push it a little bit. W- one last thing to cover here is. Um, so we have exactly a month left of spring training. Season starts a month from tomorrow or four weeks from tomorrow, actually. And so, Sam, I'm going to ask you and Mike to give me two things you want to see out of spring training. What are, what are open issues that you want answers to for the rest of spring training? If you can get these two things, that will be great. So I'll give you mine let you guys think about it for a moment. So the first thing I want to see out of spring training, the question in my mind that I want to have answered is, who is the fifth starter, and who is it Vargas, is it one of the other three, 
and what happens to the other three. I don't think it's a plug-and-play situation. I don't think we could say, oh, Vargas is the fifth starter, so these three guys go to the bullpen. I don't think it's that easy. I'm not sure that's the best for their careers, for their, their future Met careers or wherever else they go, best for their arms. It's not as easy as that. Maybe for one guy it, it will be, but not for all. So I want to, I want that answer. I want to find out what happens to those. I'll I'll call them four guys: Vargas, Gesellman, Lugo, Wheeler. I want to see what happens there. And then the other thing I want to see is I do want to see a closer at least established. It doesn't have to mean that this person closes every game. But I don't like this thing about, well, you know, I'll use them when I want to. You know, yeah, theoretically that makes sense. You're ready, buddy, when I tell you you're ready. Fine. Yeah, I get that. But that's not the way the modern athlete works. The modern athlete wants to know, what's my role? What am I going to be doing? Why am I doing this? Why am I the eighth inning guy? Do that. Give these guys structured roles. Yes, they could be tweaked as things go on. But those are two things I want. I want to see, is it Familia? Is it Ramos? If it's Familia, is Ramos basically the eighth inning guy? Blevins, the situational lefty? I'd like to sort out the back end of the bullpen. Those are my two. Sam, what about you? You know, as much as I was brushing aside aches and pains, I would like to see health. (laughs) I would like to see a healthy team going into opening day, uh, number one. Number two, um, I would like to see... Conforto's progress, and and hoping that May 1st is, in fact, the day that I guess I'm staying on the injury line with that one. It's kind of, kind of just going more specific, but still, I think that is that's something that I'm most looking forward to. Cool. Mike, how about you? Oh, Rich, there's so many. I just want to address uh, the bullpen, as you did for a second. I, I'm less concerned. Uh, I'll throw it to you this way. Think back to the days of Goose and Raleigh Fingers. Those guys were firemen, correct? Yeah. Their managers brought them into situations in the seventh and eighth innings, correct? Yep. I think Mickey Callaway is insinuating the same type of usage, just having a different guy pitch the ninth under less dire circumstances. I think that's the best way to put it. I think he's going back to the days of the firemen. Bring in your closer when you need him most. If that's in the seventh or eighth, so be it and then have your next guy in line pitch the ninth inning in a much less dire situation. That's all. That's all I think he's talking about. And I'm not, I'm not opposed to it. I'm not opposed to it. Only because we remember and we lived it in the days of the farm and before the closer. That's all. But if I had one overriding issue, everything being what it is, that would be on Mr. Travis Darno. It's time for this it's time for this dude to stand or fall. Everything has been geared around the starting rotation. Conditioning, the training staff, the medical department, Dave Ireland, Mickey Calloway. All those moves were designed to enhance and maximize the starting rotation. Now, last week when we had our technical glitch. Rich, you and I, we touched upon this. And I said, Jerry Grody had a profound effect on pitchers like Tom Seaver and Jerry Kuzman and John Matlack and and Gary Gentry. Young pitchers. He helped them. 
as opposed to those guys becoming whom they were in spite of their capture. Dwight Gooding, Ron Darling, Sid Fernandez, even Rick Aguilera. Carter helped those pitchers become the pitchers they were. They didn't become the pitchers they were in spite of Gary Carter. Now, it's ponderous to me at this point that Sandy Alderson would entrust his starting rotation of young, talented pitchers in the hands of this thus far proven subpar catcher. Because that's what he is. He, you know, if it wasn't for his ability to hit, because he has demonstrated an, an ability to hit, he just can't stay on the field. But if you massage three of his better seasons together within 350 at-bats, you'll get 14 home runs. You'll get maybe 55 RBIs. Offensively, yeah, that's great, but I need a receiver. First and foremost, I need a primary and a superior receiver, and that's not what Travis Darno is. He's not as bad as he was when he led the National League in pass balls, He's improved since then, but he's still not defensively a good catcher. He's just not. Uh, and he, he, he can't – let me not over-exaggerate. All right? His inability to throw out base runners is, is, a, is a team liability. And I'll go back to Jerry Grody, who over the course of his career threw out base runners at a 40, 45% clip. He retired at an 80, uh, 38% clip. But at his height, he was throwing out nearly half. Gary Carter, likewise, in his prime, one year he led the National League and threw out exactly half. As a Met, he was still throwing out 38% of base runners. Travis Darno threw out 17% of base runners last year. And for his career, only averages 22%. So I'll end it by saying it's becoming ponderous to me that Sandy Alderson would entrust this young, talented starting rotation in subpar hands. This organization has won two World Series, and it's no coincidence that Jerry Grody and, and Gary Carter were superior receivers for those teams. And that's what I want. Because there's too much talent on the mound at stake. And if this guy can't stand the field, but if he can't improve defensively and manage a rotation and be a captain on the field the way I was taught, you know, catchers can can be, well, then I'm done with him. That's where I stand today. Well, you know, you're great points, Mike, great, great points. And the thing is, the catching solution has to come internally, and we're looking at two guys or three. Lobaton is actually not a bad player. I, I think he's in the mix. And um, but Plewecki, Darno, and and you're right. They're they're well. Darno's a liability defensively, as far as I'm concerned. I mean, he he doesn't throw well. It doesn't seem as though the pitchers enjoy throwing to him. Plewecki might be major league average, would be a guess defensively. Obviously, he doesn't have enough track record to make a you know a, a, quali- a quantitative assessment on that, but um, he might be a decent receiver. He throws better than Darno, but then you're entrusting the jewel of the organization, the pitching staff, to a guy who's caught, I'll estimate, 40 games in the major leagues, 40 to 50 games in his career. 
so either you're entrusting it to what we a guy we hope will be average or a guy we pretty much know is below average defensively. And if that's what takes this team down is the fact that you know they're not these great young pitchers are finally healthy, but they're not being led by a Gary Carter, Jerry Grody type, that'll be troubling. And and that'll fall on Sandy's shoulders because there were guys out there and there still are, quite frankly. Meanwhile, however, let's not forget, though, that Kevin Plavecki didn't make a lot. And by the way, I will always call him Kevin Plavecki because that's the roots of the name. Everybody should understand that. That's where W's come from. The name was definitely pronounced Kevin Plavecki at some point. Kevin Plawecki sounds too weird to me, so I'm going to keep calling him Kevin Plawecki, and you all should catch on. Uh, But anyway, (laughs) we should not forget that uh, Kevin Plawecki made a lot of strides last year, and uh, I agree. Maybe was maybe maybe wasn't great defensively, but was getting a lot better than Travis Darnell at certain points, and he was starting to throw some people out, and he was also starting to hit. So he might be the sleeper here. I agree with you. I think he's. I, I think he improved last year. He, yeah, I like I like Plavecki, Plavecki better than I like Darno because again <laughs> we know Darno pretty much. We know what he is and what he isn't. But Pl- your guy, we'll call him Kevin. Um, he. Um, you see what I'm he saying? At least, I, I hear you because at least he has untapped potential. You know, we we know there might be something there. We unfortunately know that there probably isn't much more to Darno than what we've seen. Um, so with all that said, thanks for that, guys, you know, for, for your asks for spring training. We're moving to the last word here. And um, and I'll start with this one. Um, I'll actually try to think of a word as I speak. But so – and I'll go to you next, Mike, and then we'll have Sam bring it home. So – the word I, I get is, well, the phrase that, that pops to mind, people always say that to baseball fans, spring training is something that they can't wait to have it start. Then the minute it starts, I can't wait for it to end. And that is so true because we plot on the calendar 30 days for pitchers and catchers, 15 days for pitchers and catchers. The minute they're on the field throwing and the game start, please make this stop. I want the regular season. So, I'll um, I'll say my word is antsy. I'm getting antsy for real baseball. You know, I don't want to watch fake baseball anymore. I've watched three games over the weekend. That's enough. And I know it's going to be a month, but I'm antsy. I want the season to start. I think the team is better. Um, I have reason to be encouraged in my own mind. So I want to get it going. So that's my point. Mike, how about you? I think we can be a playoff contender, uh, so I have no real issues. If I'm picking on Travis Darno, it's because there's nothing really else to talk about. Uh, like we started the show, injuries, I'm not paying attention to what the media's putting out there. I'm not paying attention uh, to any of that. Uh, so really, no news is good news. And you guys know me, and for those of you who heard me rant and rave over the years, if I ain't got nothing to talk about, that's a good thing. <laughs> so, Sam... You began the show eloquently, very nice message. I'm going to have you, I'm not going to say another word, I'm going to have you end it with whatever you want to say. I have only three, you got to believe. There you have it. I'm speaking again. I said I wasn't going to. All right. Um, All right, gentlemen. Uh, Very much a pleasure talking baseball with you tonight. 
very much appreciate your time. I think we covered a lot, had a lot of fun doing it. And um, let's go Mets. Everybody, uh, we will be back on the air in roughly a week or so. And we'll look forward to continuing to discuss spring training. Good night, everybody. Good night, everybody. Let's go Mets.